All right, we are in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and I want you to notice what it says in verse 5. It says, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. And there's several, so many things in that passage right there. But I like how he says the end of the commandment is charity. I mean, you could say that Jesus replaced all the commandments of the Old Testament with really two commandments. And that's love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor. If you just do those two things, you kind of have all the law taken care of. And so the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart. And then it said, notice how it says too, from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling. So these people, they have turned away from, or they've swerved away from charity. They've swerved away from loving like they're supposed to. And they've gone into vain jangling where they're making a lot of noise, making a lot of sound, but they don't really know what they're talking about. And it says desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say or whereof they affirm. So they, you know, they're going to the law. They act like they're, what they're saying is from the Bible, but they clearly don't understand what the Bible's doing, what the Bible's teaching. And he goes on to say, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. There is a proper way to use the law. There's a proper way to apply the Bible. And then it goes on to explain how the law is not for righteousness, for murderers and whoremongers and all these things, anything that's contrary to sound doctrine. But a lot of times... People misuse scriptures and it is always a painful thing when you hear somebody preaching a lie and using scripture. Do you know some people use scripture to prove you can lose your salvation? And isn't that always frustrating when people do that? Because we understand they're misusing it. You know, there's, I mean, there's no end to the heresies that are taught out there. And it's typically by people who just don't understand the Bible. They don't understand what they're doing, they make a lot of noise, they turn aside to vain jangling, and it's, it's frustrating. It's really frustrating when people do this kind of thing. And so, uh, what I want to talk about tonight, and I'm going to kind of use, I'm trying to teach a lesson that you can apply in several areas, but I'm going to focus it on one doctrine tonight, because often when people really get messed up on their teaching, it's when they obsess over one doctrine. For example, you know, pretty much every cult that there's ever been, you know, they were started based on a misuse of one scripture. They created some doctrine based on one scripture where, and they had it wrong. And then they started changing everything in the Bible to fit that one area where they were wrong. And that's always frustrating. They got so zeroed in on that one thing. And then there's other people too, maybe even when it's not even damnable heresies, but they just get real hung up on one doctrine and then they try to make the entire Bible about that. And that's frustrating too, because there are some subjects in the Bible where it doesn't say a whole lot about it. And I know in our kind of preaching, we like to use a lot of scripture in all our sermons, but you know, there's some subjects, if we're going to cover them, we're not going to use a lot of scripture. But did you know that it doesn't stop some people from using a lot of scripture anyway? Because it's like, you know, I have to use a lot. I have to use 45 verses at least. And I know there's not 45 verses about this in the Bible, but I'm just going to make these other verses seem like they fit and we don't want to do that we always want to make sure we're handling the word of god correctly and 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 so if we don't even when it comes to true doctrines i know people out there who their thing 
you know, maybe, you know, there's YouTubers out there. Their thing is eternal security, you know, free salvation, whatever. And so that's all they talk about. That's all they care about. That's the only subject that they're interested in. The problem is they often end up making passages that aren't about those things about that subject too. So we don't ever want to just get obsessed with one doctrine because you do, it can end up messing you up in other areas. Or especially if you take that one doctrine farther than you need to. If you do that, you're going to go into error too. And so I want to kind of illustrate how this is done with the reprobate doctrine. And there are a lot of people out there obsessed with the reprobate doctrine. I want to talk about the dangers of being obsessed with the reprobate doctrine. And I am, I I would consider a strong believer in what is known as the reprobate doctrine. But there's a lot of people who aren't real familiar with it. And as somebody too who's nice to people, I've had a lot of preachers who have talked to me about this. And it's very clear that they don't fully understand the reprobate doctrine. But at the same time too, I understand where they, or why they think what they do about it. Because people say crazy stuff in the name of the reprobate doctrine a lot of times. Often in our zeal to go after certain groups, we sometimes take certain rhetoric too far. And it ends up being misleading to people. And we don't ever want to mislead people when it comes to these things. But in case somebody's not fully familiar with the reprobate doctrine, I do believe there are some people out there, and what the teaching is, there's people who Jesus loved, who people Jesus died for, that unfortunately, they said no to the reproving of the Holy Ghost so many times that God finally said, enough's enough. And the drawing of the Holy Ghost has ceased in their life and will never come back. God has given these people over to the things that they wanted. And now all restraints are gone and they go after things that most of us would never want. They go after unnatural things. And I think, and these people are no, they no longer have the hope of salvation. They're basically dead men walking and without they're twice dead, no chance of any salvation. And I think Romans 1, you know, gives us some examples of people who give all the signs of being given over to a reprobate mind. And you know, one of the telltale signs that we'll often bring up is somebody who's given over to a reprobate mind, you you kind of know they are when they're just drawn to things that any normal people person will be drawn away from because while we all have sins that we all have to fight while we all have temptations that are very common that we would all be tempted by there are people who do the unimaginable and love to do the unimaginable and can't live without the unimaginable you know there's the you know the homos for example and you know your pedophiles and things like that there's and so i'm not really planning on trying to prove this doctrine tonight because i think Everybody here understands it, but I do want to talk about some of the foolish ideas, behavior, teachings, or teachings that often come from people who believe in this doctrine. Because again, obsession with one doctrine, it often creates a lot of problems for people, especially preachers when they're known for preaching one doctrine. They go off the deep end in certain areas because they're just so obsessed with that one thing. And while I'll be highlighting, I'm highlighting the reprobate doctrine, but these principles could be applied to many other doctrines as well. I just, I I like to do it with this one because I I see this a lot. And two, um, it's just, it's an easy one. This is one of these doctrines that's been made to look really bad by nut jobs who want to explain the reprobate doctrine to their girlfriend on a first date and stuff like that. I've heard some of those stories. Guys, 
I would recommend not doing that. When you get that first date, you know, don't check up on the, you know, try to win over from the reprobate doctrine first thing. Talk about an unromantic subject matter. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. But, um, and you know what? I mean, in, if my daughter ever goes and she's seeing a guy and the first thing he wants to talk to her about is the reprobate doctrine, I'm going to tell her there's something wrong with this dude. You know, if he's more interested in the reprobate doctrine than you, um, I, I don't think you want this guy. <laughs> but, but anyway, so there, there's the, the, cra- the crazy people associated with this doctrine are something else. I could tell a lot of stories and I'm not going to do that. But what are the dangers of obsessing over this doctrine? Well, for one, again, it causes people to make passages about the reprobate doctrine that in reality have no impact on it. And turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. I think this passage here is one too that often gets butchered and we, and we don't have to mess with this passage. There is, there is absolutely nothing in this passage that debunks the reprobate doctrine, but yet everybody who wants to debunk the reprobate doctrine, they always go to this passage. And we don't, we don't need to butcher this passage either. They're butchering it, but we don't have to, we, we don't have to butcher it. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. In such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, many people will use this because they'll talk about abusers themselves with mankind and they'll talk about how those are homos. And then he goes on to say, and such were some of you. So that proves the reprobate doctrine falls and that homos can be saved. And then, often on our side, we're trying to prove abusers of themselves with mankind are not homos. Here's, this is the problem. This is when I, my head explodes, when I hear both sides on this thing. Here's what Paul is teaching. Paul starts out the chapter saying, he's, he's calling out this church for going to court and going to the law with their brothers over their matters. And he's talking about how foolish that is. He's saying you should be able to get the least esteemed among you to settle your differences rather than going to the, the world's court system. And then he goes on to explain how the, the least of you should be able to do this. The least esteemed person would be better than the people out there. Why? Because who's going to be out there? The fornicators, adulterers. He names off all these people. People who are not going to have part in the kingdom of God. The people you're going to church with, they are going to have part in the kingdom of God. These people out there are not going to have part in it. And so when he says, and such were some of you, he's not saying, see, those people can be saved. No, you know what he's saying? That's not what he's teaching there. He's saying, that's the crowd you came from. You know how those people are. So he's not, he, he didn't just all of a sudden change subject here. See, they can get saved. No, he's saying, see, you know how those people are. You were from that crowd. Why would you go to them for judgment? That doesn't make any sense. That's all he's saying in this passage. That's all, that's all he's saying. So, I mean, so either way you look at it, this is not teaching homos can be saved. That's not, that's not what he's trying to do here. He's, try, he's illustrating the type of people that they were going to, a type of people that God had separated them from, a type of people who weren't going to be a part of the kingdom of God, where they, they were going to judge angels. And so why can't they judge the smallest matters in the church? We are not allowed to just isolate a passage, isolate phrases, and ignore the context, ignore what's being discussed, 
in the passage. We don't need to do that. So again, even if this said full-blown psychopath reprobate sodomite, and then he goes on to say such were some of you, it, it doesn't matter. Okay, it, it doesn't change anything. This doesn't debunk the reprobate doctrine. All's we're doing, you know, all's they're doing when they do when people are using this to prove they can be saved is they're ignoring the context and they're making this passage about something that it's not. And we don't need to go and make it like this isn't a sodomite. I think it probably is a sodomite. I, I, mean, I don't know what else it could be. I think it's interesting too. It's mentioned right after effeminate too. Because typically you go from effeminate to sodomite. I mean, that's just like the next step. That's the way it typically works. So there's no reason. We don't need to do that. But this ha- often happens with many doctrines. You'll see... You know, these YouTubers that are out there, they're, they're, they're focused on salvation, eternal security, but then they will often completely butcher the Scriptures to prove a right doctrine. We don't ever need to butcher a Scripture to prove eternal salvation. We don't need to do that. But false prophets, false prophets often take parables that aren't necessarily about salvation, and then they make them about salvation and use them to prove you can lose your salvation. And then our guys come along and they're like, they twist the parable to make it that you can't lose your salvation. But wait, that parable had nothing to do with that. How about the parables or, you know, just what Jesus preached about, you know, um, abiding in the vine so we can bring forth fruit. But the false prophets come along and they'll talk about how, well, no, that's about, you know, that's losing your salvation. And then they're trying to prove how, no, obviously abiding in Christ is salvation but even if the branch gets broken off, you're still saved. And it's like, wait, no, that's not what it's about. You're just, it's about bearing fruit. So let's not equally butcher the passage. But again, people often do that, just trying to make everything about that one doc- doctrine. It's okay to admit we don't always have a lot of Bible. One ver- and you know, one verse is enough as long as what we are teaching from that verse doesn't contradict the rest of the Bible. And you know what? I'm often disturbed... Listen, I, I fully am persuaded in a round earth. But I am regularly disturbed when I hear people use a ton of scriptures to prove a round earth. It's like there's not a ton of scriptures on it. Okay, and then they'll, they'll literally, I've heard people butcher the scriptures just as bad to prove a round earth as people do to prove a flat earth. That's like, that's not helping. Okay, we don't have to have 50 verses for everything. I mean, obviously, the Bible didn't even think it needed to talk about that. You know, sometimes, you know, there's some subjects you just shouldn't have to talk about. But apparently, you know, people are, they're just, they're convinced there's just hundreds of verses. And the flat earthers do that all the time. They're always showing you the hundreds of, hundreds of verses that aren't, you know, that it's just, it's just not there. But then it's like, well, we got to count them. I'm going to find hundred verses that prove the opposite. No, you don't need to. You know what? Just use, he hangeth the world upon nothing. That debunks it right there because they teach us on the fighters. It teaches on pillars. So, boom, <laughs> right there. I mean, so that, that was my flatter sermon right there. I didn't have a whole lot of Bible. Yeah, but at least the one verse I had was biblical. <laughs> at least I didn't have to mess with the scriptures to prove it. So, you know, it's, it's frustrating. But again, in the flat earth world, the people that are obsessed with that, I mean, isn't it interesting to see how many verses they connect with the flat earth? I mean everything in Revelation. Remember Tyler Doka? Revelation 1 in the flat earth. Revelation 2 in the flat earth. He, he, he got like the first three chapters and it was all about the flat earth. How do you make Christ's messages 
to the seven churches about the flat earth. But <laughs> Doka revealed how you know he was crazy enough to do something like that. But I mean, is, is it not painful to see that kind of thing? We can, we can do that even in areas where we're right sometimes, where we make the Bible about things that it's not about. And so, uh, you know, because here's, here's some things, too, to think about that we all agree with, but our rhetoric doesn't always match up with it. Because, again, let's just say, all right, let's just say for sake of an argument that the abuser of themselves with mankind was a sodomite. And when he said, and such were some of you, Paul said that because they had former sodomites in the church. Let's just say that you were able to convince me that that is exactly what was going on. Does that even debunk the reprobate doctrine? Well, it would mess with some of the rhetoric. It would mess with some things that we often, we often say. Because this is what happens. People in their zeal to prove this doctrine. Because obviously we don't like sodomites. Okay? They, they go a little, we go a little overboard sometimes on the things that we say that we don't even really believe. So, for example, let me ask you this. When does a person go from being a victim to an actual sodomite? Have you ever thought about that? Because a lot of people, you know, are kind of forced into that world. They're in abusive homes. You've got people that have been, you know, put in human trafficking and stuff like that. And they are engaging in horrible, vile things, but they're victims as well. Would we say those people are reprobate when the fact is a person can't become reprobate unless they were somebody who knew the truth and rejected it? So, again, there could be somebody who, you know, and we all agree, that has been involved in some of these things that is not a reprobate. I think, we, I think everybody agrees with that. Even at Massa Conference, in the Q&A, I asked the pastors about that, and they all agreed that, yeah, not everybody that's messed with that stuff and been involved in that stuff is a reprobate. Sometimes people are on drugs. Sometimes people are drunk. Sometimes people experiment. There's a lot of different things. So when do they become an actual sodomite? When do they get declared a sodomite? We don't really know, do we? Like, when does somebody get the reprobate stamp on their forehead? Oh, wait, they don't get a reprobate stamp on their forehead. God gives them over that. We don't always know for sure when that person reaches that point. So, and here's another question, too. Does one's stated identity with the alphabet crowd actually, you know, or, you know, when does that, that, or does there, let me say it this way. When one states themselves as part of the alphabet crowd, does that immediately make them a reprobate? I wouldn't think so. In fact, that was another question I remember asking at Massa. Do you think everyone who identifies LGBT, STD, all that kind of stuff is a full-blown reprobate? And they all, they're all unanimously no. Because again, they're being recruited in the schools. They're being encouraged to mess with this stuff. So understand too, you know, when people are out there saying all LGBTQ are reprobate, well, obviously... All legitimate ones, we would agree, are. You know, obviously, uh, you, know, you know, probably a vast majority of the people associating with that are. But nobody thinks all of them actually are. So we got to watch out about how we say things. Isn't it important? We've been talking a lot about this, how important it is that we are accurate in how we state things, that we speak biblically, 
that we, we don't want to send mixed messages. We don't want to do that. Another question too, does one's guilt in certain capital offenses make them a reprobate? I think we'd all agree no. No, obviously, no, not everyone who has murdered someone is a reprobate. Otherwise, Moses never would have been able to be used by God. David never would have been able to be used by God. Okay, now obviously, if some guy gets his thrills from strangling people, we're like, yeah, I think that guy's probably a reprobate. You got these people that are locked up in prison? Yeah, if they let me out, I'm going to do it again. I, I can't stop. You know, yeah, that guy's probably a reprobate. But understand, they're both murderers. The one who lost his temper is a murderer. The one who gets his thrills out of it is a murderer. But we would agree that both of them, or one is probably a reprobate, well, one might not be. So it's the same thing too, even in the sodomite crowd, in the abusers of themselves with mankind crowd, there are going to be people who aren't burning in their lust, you know, towards each other. People who, I mean, folks, a lot of these people, especially the ones because of human trafficking stuff, these are miserable, miserable people. Right? Now, again, if somebody's enjoying that world, something's really wrong. Uh, you know, in the, you know, I don't want to talk about, you know, disgusting things, but in that, in that world, in that human trafficking world, in certain industries where they make people do horrible things, they often, those people are often on a lot of drugs too. They're often, and a lot of times they get them addicted to drugs. That's how they can control them. But I think one of the reasons those people are doing drugs a lot too is because imagine living that kind of life. I mean, well, that would mess most of us up. And I think the drugs are what help them cope and get through that. You know why? Because they're not reprobates. They're, they're miserable. And those drugs are the only thing that get them, get them through all that stuff. So again, I'm not going to look at that person who's been made a victim, who's been abused, who has to take drugs to even get through all that stuff. You know, I, I'm going to look at them differently than that person who they're living for that very thing. They're not forced into it. They want it. They're the predators. You know, there, there's a big difference. There's a big difference. And so what, uh, one's guilt in, you know, does one's guilt in certain capital offenses make them worthy of God's prescribed punishment? Yeah, it does. Again, if you lose your temper and murder somebody, I don't think you're a reprobate, but whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. We talked about that this morning, how, you know, our eyes are not supposed to pity them. And often we're just way too merciful. And you know what? If you lie with mankind as with womankind, both have committed abomination. They should be put to death. Their blood should be upon them. I mean, that's what the Bible says. It doesn't say only if they've crossed the reprobate line. It's not what it says. Again, because it, it is, it's a very serious sin. But we would all agree that many people who have committed other capital offenses, they're worthy of death, but they can still be saved. So, uh, you know, it's not really up to any of us to make sure we identify and mark every reprobate that's out there. We, but it is very important that we understand that they exist and we take some common sense precautions. Do you understand that? It's very important. We need to know they exist. We don't need to have this attitude, all man is basically good. No, there are some that are rotten to the core and are just unredeemable. We need, it. we need to understand that, that they are dangerous. They cannot be fixed. But because we don't always know when that is, but we know it exists, you know, when we have people come to this church like we have before, and they tell me that they have homicidal tendencies, 
I'm going to be like, yeah, I don't want you coming here. Yeah, what, what, I've never killed anybody. Well, I don't want this to be the first place you do. Okay? And if somebody comes along and they're like, you know what? I've never done a homo thing before, but I feel like it. You know what? We're going to tell them, get out of here. Well, are you sure they're a reprobate that haven't even done anything yet? I don't care. They need to get out of here. When they're, when they're, if, if somebody tells me they're struggling with just unnatural things, somebody tells me they're interested in little kids or something like that, but they've never done anything, sorry. See you later. Don't ever come back here again. We will, we will throw your carcass out so fast it's not even funny. Why? But you know why? I'm not saying we can be 100% in this stuff, but it's just common sense precautions. Because we understand that's a real thing, there's going to be some things we're just not going to mess with. You cross the line in certain areas, just, you know, you're done. You're, you know, we are done with you. It doesn't mean God's done with you, but we as a church will be, are done. Okay? You mess with child pornography or something like that, you're done. Hey, just just mark it down. Y'all want to come to this church? Don't ever, 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 ever mess with that stuff. Ever. Because if, if you do, you might not be a reprobate. Maybe, I don't know. I don't, I don't know when everybody crosses that line. But you know what? You've, you've gotten involved in something that disqualifies you from a normal life around decent people. And say, that, that doesn't seem fair. Well, you know what? I bet a lot of people thought that way about the death penalty. But what did the Bible say? And I should not pity them. And we're not going to feel sorry for you when you do that kind of thing. That is not a victimless crime. That is not a victimless crime when you do that kind of thing. So just mark it down. You'll be done. So another reason, too, you've got to be careful about obsessing with this doctrine is it causes people to obsess about things that we'd probably be better off just not thinking about that often. And what, look what it says in Ephesians 5, 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor a covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometime darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful work of darkness, but rather reprove them, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret." So notice that it's naming off all these terrible things. And it says it's just a shame to even speak of these things. And I understand. Unfortunately, we do have to address the sins and the challenges of our day. The Bible talks a lot about disgusting, disturbing things. You know why? Because a lot of times they were dealing with disgusting, disturbing sins that were going on in that day. We see horrible things taking place in Israel Terrible, and we have horrible things taking place today, and we have to address certain things. But let me tell you, back in the day, there wasn't a whole lot of preaching on this subject, especially when concerning homos, because people just didn't talk about it. They didn't want to talk about that stuff. But now we kind of have to, don't we? Because we have an entire month where that stuff shoved down our throat, and and that's just when it's extra focused. They're shoving it down our throats, you know, all the time now. Just all the time, you know, 
sodomites have become a part of diversity, like with races. Uh, just like everything has to be racially diverse, now you have to have a sodomite. And that's, it's not a race. I promise. How many saw the picture of the new seven dwarfs? On seven, no, and the seven dwarves. They're not even dwarves. One of them is. Racially diverse, male and female, if there's not a sodomite in there. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. And all that's been released is a picture. But uh, <laughs> there will be a sodomite in there. Well, stuff's getting shoved down our throats all the time. But you know what? And at the same time, so I'm, I'm not criticizing anyone for addressing it. We, address, we have to address these things. We have to preach about this stuff. But you know what? You know, at the same time, I don't want to have to talk about it all the time. I don't want to have to bring it up all the time. I just, you know, every service, I, and we're always going to have to ramp things up in tune because that's just, it's our therapy when they're just, just creaming us with all this stuff. When we're seeing fag flags everywhere and just everywhere you look, just queer this, queer, it's just, <clears throat> you know, we have to say stuff about it. But at the same time, there are some things that we just shouldn't be thinking about. And that's one of those things that I just, sometimes I just don't want to talk about it. Sometimes I just want to forget they exist. You know, and I wish we could, but we're seeing them more and more out and about all the time. But Jeremiah 19.5 says, They have built also the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings unto Baal, which I commanded not, nor spake it, neither came it into my mind. Therefore, behold, the day come, saith the Lord, that this place shall no more be called Tophet, nor the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. And so notice, these sins that they were committing were horrible. God said, these things never even came into my mind. But you know what? Just like God had to address this because it was the sin of that day, we need to address perversion that's openly being promoted. But without a doubt, it's not healthy thinking about it all the time. And again... If you're bringing it up on your first date with the girl, you're thinking about it too much. You're thinking about it too much. What does it say in 2 Peter 2.7? And deliver just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. That, that seeing and hearing, it vexed them. And if, you, if you're focused too much on the sodomites, it'll mess with you. It'll vex you because they are filthy. It is a filthy, vile, abominable, disgusting thing. And the way Holly, even the way Hollywood portrays it is vile and disgusting. But even they sanitize it and make it, you know, not near as disgusting as it is. So the last thing we, you know, so again, we got to watch out. If our, if our mind is there too often, it's going to mess with you. And so... Uh, so pastor, you haven't talked about sodomites in six months. What's going on? You lightening up on them? No, I just really don't want to think about them. I just, I, I just, you know, sometimes I just need a break from that subject and I need a break from those people. And that's why I do as much as I can to stay out of cities because that's where they seem to hang out the most. And I just, I hang out, I stay away from cities and Starbucks because it's always just full of, of flaming sodomites all the time. And I just can't handle it. So it often... Another reason, too, we've got to watch out about obsessing with this doctrine. I just insulted all the Starbucks fans, but you know what? Just go through drive-thru. But then you've you got the worker that you got a good, there's a good shot there, too, that the worker is going to be at least an effeminate. At least. And, and it's been that way for a long time. When we lived in Peru, 
We were at the Starbucks one time. And I always feel gay anyway, just ordering the stuff because of the Starbucks language. And my wife's like, you know, whatever it was I was ordering. And I ordered it, and it's a like, dude. And I, whatever it was I said that I was ordering, he's like, ooh, that sounds so good. And I, oh, it was, and I just got angry. <laughs> just, and it's like, you cannot make me do this all the time. It's just humiliating. And... Uh, but yeah, anyway, see, y'all are getting me thinking about this stuff too much <laughs> and, and I'm getting, I'm getting in the, in the flesh up here while I'm trying to preach, but another, turn over second Timothy chapter three. Another thing we got to watch out for when it comes to this subject too, people who obsess with it, it often creates this witch hunt mentality that just really isn't healthy or profitable either. Where we're always just hunting for reprobates. We're always just looking for reprobates. Everybody that comes to church, I wonder if they're a reprobate. That, that is not good. That is not healthy. But remember, the reprobate doctor is important because it helps us understand what's going on when truly horrific things happen. Often when truly horrific things happen, people start questioning God and wonder what's going on. No, this is a consequence of a nation that is rejecting God and rejecting His Word and a people who reject God. There are very horrible things that can take place. It, it, another reason it's important to understand the reprobate doctrine, it removes a lot of confusion Whenever even people that you trusted and were even convinced were good turn out to be super scummy people. And so, but at the same time, because, you know, sodomites, infiltrators, reprobates, they have no conscience. They can come in, act like one of us, talk like one of us, dress like one of us, do all that stuff while they've got, you know, terrible motives at the same time. Things that we wouldn't be capable of doing they are capable of doing. Deception that you, and lying that you and I are not capable of doing, they are very capable of it. There's some things I couldn't say with a straight face. But they can. Because they have, they have no conscience. And so we need to understand that, yeah, they can get to a pulpit. They can become a pastor of the church. But at the same time, while that's a reality, we should never let this start getting us suspicious about decent people. Uh, I think I think Brother Aaron's a nice guy. Well, I'm, that's because them reprobates, they have no conscience. They can pretend to be a nice guy. So now one of the symptoms of a reprobate is being a nice guy. Oh, oh, guys, we, you know, we, we can't be that way. You know, and, we, and let me tell you, we should never, ever publicly cast doubt on someone by accusing them of being a possible reprobate. Not unless you've got the goods on them. Look what it says in 2 Timothy 3.1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Paul is warning the church that a day is coming where people like this, this is how it's going to get in the world. This is how people are going to be. And he names off all these horrible things that people are going to do. And we are definitely in these days. But notice one of the terrible things he mentions too. He mentions false accusers. It is a very, it is a very big problem, to fall, a very big sin to be falsely accusing somebody of something. And imagine accusing somebody of being a reprobate, just being the worst possible thing when they're not. So we've got to watch out for that. I get it. They're, they exist. They're real. They can arise among us. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. And they do. They, Paul warned about these wolves that were going to come up among the own flock. Among you, they're going to pop up speaking perverse things. 
That can, it can happen, but at the same time, we're, not suppo- we're always supposed to be watching, but we're not supposed to have a witch hunt mentality. And we're definitely not to be quick. It's like, it's like people want to be the first one to name somebody as a reprobate. I want to be the one that marked them. I want to be the one that identified them. You got the false prophet hunters out there. They always want to be the first one to prove that somebody's a false prophet. So they're always just listening to all their sermons, just waiting for just one thing wrong. They say one thing wrong, and then they, just, they want to be the first to pounce on them. Uh, that didn't really sound that bad. You know, maybe it was a little off. That's how they do it. They come in subtly. That's how the reprobates are. Uh, you, know, you know, just chill, all right? Just chill. We need to know they exist. We always need to be ready for them. But it's not really our job to mark all of them, you know, ahead of time. They will reveal themselves eventually. And when they do, you know, we will deal with it accordingly. But at the same time, bearing false witness is a very big sin. Proverbs, that's one of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20.16, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Exodus 23.1, Thou shalt not raise a false report. Put not thine hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Deuteronomy 19.15, One witness shall not rise up against any man for any iniquity for, or for any sin and any sin that he sinneth at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, which shall be in those days. And the judges shall make diligent inquisition. And we looked at the rest of that passage this morning. And if they're found to be a false witness, then you know what? You do to them whatever they were going to have done to somebody else. And let me tell you something. Going around accusing people of being a reprobate, false prophet, or something like that, that is a really big deal. And you know what? Just one witness isn't enough. But and here's what happens too. And I've, I've seen Once people accuse somebody of being a reprobate or a false prophet, you don't, they never repent of it. They never back down from it. They're immediately invested in, the, in, that, in them being a reprobate, false prophet or whatever. And, that, and the thing is, one person's not even supposed to rise up in an accusation like that. But yet, these people do all the time, and they are invested forever, and they never back down, they never change their mind. And maybe if that person would have had the character, the decency to just go, one, maybe confront the person first and talk to them, or even two, get a couple more witnesses and say, hey, let's actually go listen. Are you guys hearing the same thing? I'm here, you know, you know, don't even tell them what you heard. Go listen and tell me what you think. You know, don't, don't lead them. But there, there's a lot of ways we could protect ourselves from this stuff. But understand, this witch hunt mentality is not right. That is not what the reprobate doctrine is supposed to get us doing. Just going out on witch hunts all the time. And, and just here's kind of a side note. Just because somebody commits one of the sins mentioned in Roman 1, it doesn't mean you have evidence they might be a reprobate. Because that, and that's another thing too. Whenever somebody wants to cast doubt on somebody... You know, they always try to connect any of the reprobate sins to them. You know, as a way, I'm not saying they're reprobate, but it could be. You know, and it's just like deceit. They tricked me. That's one of the marks of a reprobate. Full of, you know, debate, deceit, malignity. And so they tricked me. They prank called me one time. <sighs> you know, sometimes people were just being funny. You know, and it doesn't mean they're a reprobate. But that's how that's how people get, and that's how it was in the witch hunts too. You know that they talk about back in the Salem witch trials and all that. I mean, there was all these things they just associated with witchcraft and witches. And so, if people did anything, 
You know, they got sick or something. You know, they would, they would think, they're probably a witch. And what are they doing? You know, they're out burning people and stuff. That's not how it's supposed to be. And so we don't, we don't want to, you know, because with your false prophet hunters that are out there too, you know, we understand there is such a thing as false prophets. But some people are not capable of distinguishing between someone who is a wolf and someone who's just in error. Sometimes people are in error. Sometimes people are bad communicators. You know, we got, we got to be careful with this stuff. So then the final thing too, in, in people's zeal to get everyone on board with the reprobate doctrine, they often get overly focused on hate rather than love. And that's not good either. Look what it says in 1 Thessalonians 3.12. I'm just going to hit these verses quick. It says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. 1 Peter 4.8 And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover a multitude of sins. But yeah, but the Bible, you know, there's places we're supposed to hate too. I get that. I get that. But here's what you got to understand. If you love what you are supposed to love, then you will naturally hate what you're supposed to hate. It's that simple. And we have been called to work on our love over and over and over again. You know what we're not really called to work on? Our hate. Because again, if, we're, if you work on your love, appropriate hate will naturally come with it. Appropriate hate. Not, but here's the thing. Not all hate is appropriate. Not all, not all hate is appropriate. In fact... Hatred is a natural work of the flesh, and to focus on hate is likely to get us hating the wrong things. What does it say in Galatians 4, 5, 19? Now the fruit or the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. That is a work hatred is a work of the flesh, and typically gets us in trouble. And and so the thing is we We've never been called to work on our hate. We're called to work on our love. And again, like they say, you, know, you can't love the flowers without hating the weeds. You can't love the children without hating the pedophiles. I, I get all that. That's just common sense. And so the thing is, you know, I, if we're just talking about hate all the time or motivating hate and all that, we're probably going to get unbalanced. Because hatred, uh, it is, it's just kind of, it's kind of a work of the flesh. And so we've got to watch out for that. And if you are, if you're more concerned about hating the right things than you are loving the right things, you're going to get unbalanced and probably get yourself in trouble. And so thankfully, you know, and thankfully, there is still a universal hate out there for pedophiles in our world, you know, like there used to be for homos. In fact, they used to just call pedophiles homosexuals. Remember Boys Beware? They didn't call them pedophile. They, they called them homosexual. But our society has been trained not to, you know, not to hate the sodomites. And you know what? But the, nobody had to teach that hatred. It was instinctive, wasn't it? It was instinctive to hate perversion. But, you know, because, and you know what? People did, they hated it because we used to be a more loving society. But now we have perverted love, like we talked about this morning. And now people are acting like, most people, most people are acting like they don't hate it. Okay, I, I don't believe most people don't hate it. I, I, I think most people are acting like they don't. But thankfully with pedophiles, people are still around, allowed to express their true opinions. And you know, you can have bumper stickers 
Uh, what was that one bumper sticker? Uh, uh, we saw one about, one of the boys you were telling me about it. Talked about the pedophile. I forgot what it was. I can't remember, but it was like shoot your local pedophile or something like that. It was it was something very violent. Against <laughs> him, but no nobody cares about that. People see that kind of thing, and it's like, yeah, because you know we we still have the right mentality. We've been trained to love and accept this, and and, and just mark it down. People are they're they're getting closer and closer to encouraging acceptance of pedophiles. And one of the evidence of that too is how the alphabet community is all up in arms about the Sound of Freedom movie that just makes you hate pedophiles. Why do they care if they're not pedophiles? Why do they care if they're not included in their group? Why, Why do they care so much? I think we all know why they care. We've been saying it for a while. But at the same time, uh, pretty, pretty soon that's going to change. And it, it already is. But we need to watch out for that. But I do believe the Bible teaches there is such a thing as a person who's been given over to a reprobate mind who is beyond the hope of salvation. And I believe this teaching is key to understanding many things in the Bible. It's the key to understanding many things that we'll experience in our life. But it, however, it's, it's far from the most important thing in our life. And in my experience, the people that are most obsessed with this are sometimes the craziest people. And it is, it, it's a red flag when somebody just constantly wants to talk about sodomites and perverts. And uh, There was a guy, uh, and I'll, I'll close with this. Um, he used, but back, this was years ago, back when I was at Lighthouse. He used to call all the time. He would call the church or he'd call uh, my parents' house. And he always would, and he always, he mainly would want to talk to women. He wouldn't say a whole lot if men would answer the phone, but he would like ask questions about spanking. And he, he sounded normal, sounded sincere, but he was always asking about, you know, and asking what they use and just asking a lot of questions about spanking kids. And I, and it was just, it was kind of weird. I think Sandra, you might answer, she answered the phone one time. We were at mom and dad, she answered the phone. The guy just started asking all these questions. I answered one time. And then he like didn't really say much, but it was like, I think this guy was just a weirdo and liked talking to him about that. And then we were talking to some other pastors one time and like, I've got a call from that same guy and I've talked to other pastors. He's called too. And yeah, and they, he would always want to talk to women and he would ask them about spanking their kids and stuff like that. And so everybody was just convinced this guy was some kind of weirdo pervert and you know, and so you do these people who come along and all they want to do is talk about sodomites and reprobates and stuff like that. It's just like, really, you want to talk about it that much? Sometimes I just want to forget about it. You know, let, let's let's all let's all pretend we live in a world where they don't. <laughs> and, and just uh, so we can just, you know, you know, ha- not have disgusting thoughts go into our mind. And so we got to watch out for that. This is an important doctrine. And it does need to be talked about because we are living in a sick, perverted age. But be careful getting too obsessed with it. It'll, it'll mess you up. And that's the case with, with really any doctrine. You don't want to ever get unbalanced on these things. With that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the warnings that you have given us. I, I thank you for uh, doctrines like these that just help us make sense of the wickedness that's going on in the world. It helps a lot to uh, understand what's going on and to, it just encourages me to want to follow the instructions that you gave and I pray you'll help us as a church to protect our, our congregation. I pray uh, we'll protect our families 
from the evil that's out there. And I pray you'll just help us to be a light and help us to keep our minds in the right place and help us to be uh, continue increasing in love. In your name we pray. Amen.